Good morning, everyone. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be uh, with you this morning in the house of the Lord. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Hebrews. So if you would find a copy of Scripture either on your device or in the uh, back of the seat in front of you and turn to Hebrews 11, we're going to try to tackle the whole uh, chapter this morning, which should be fun. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for our uh, guest preachers we've had these last couple weeks for Josh and AJ. And um, with Dave the week before, it means we've had four different preachers for four different weeks, which I'm thankful for. Because it's, it's a reminder to us that we're not about the messenger, but the message and the one that the message is about. And that protects us from being like the New Testament church that got in trouble saying, right, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul. We're not of Dave, we're not of Jeff, we're not of Josh or even AJ. We are of Jesus Christ. So I've entitled our message this morning, Faith Works. Because in each of these stories, you have a, a picture of the power of faith in God demonstrated. And I kind of broke it down into four points. Specifically, how faith saves, faith pleases God, faith trusts, and faith rewards. And this is where familiarity with the whole Bible would be helpful to you. So there's so many different stories, so many different Old Testament kind of saints and what they did in very kind of short snippets. And so I'm not saying uh, if, you, if you don't know their stories, like you might as well walk in and leave right now, right? That's not where I'm at. But I am saying your knowledge of the Bible would help you here. And so it's like, we haven't even prayed, and I'm already like, hey, you should read your Bible. I always got to like sneak that in there at some point. <laughs> but I think even if you're not, we'll talk about them a little bit, and I think still be able to mine some some good, helpful truth about faith generally that we can learn from their examples. But let's pray as we seek to increase our faith through the study of God's word. Father, we come before you and we come before your word this morning eager and anticipating what you have for us. And I pray as we take some time this morning to ponder the example of the history and community of believers you've given us, and your words, testimony of faith, would you use it to increase our faith in you, in who you are, your character, and your promises. Give us humble, teachable hearts this morning as we come to your word. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you would look with me now at the beginning of chapter 11, we're going to start with verses one through four. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So again, things that are invisible or not seen. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And that's our first point this morning, is that faith saves. 
faith saves. Now, it's important as we get into this topic of faith, okay, if I'm going to spend this whole time talking about faith, that we know what faith is. And apparently, the author agrees, right, because he started, he or she started this chapter with that sort of definition, looking at verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. This belief, this faith, this hope is not like uh, maybe we often say in just our common every day-to-day language. Josh was talking about this a little bit last week. He said that he hoped that the Bears would do better this year. Um, and I, know, I don't know what happened to why we lined up like two, two Bears people in a row, but I know there's a lot of bands, Bears fans here, so maybe you guys had something to do with it. I don't know. But when he, right, when he said that, or maybe some of us are hoping that the Jets don't do well this year. That would be a little mean, but, you know. <laughs> when you say that, right, you're not saying, I, I know for sure. I have a conviction that these things are going to happen. It's more like wishful thinking. I'm hoping that the Jets don't do well, or I'm hoping that the Bears do well. Uh, I'm not hoping either of those things, but, you know, you do you. <laughs> when we say we we have this sort of hope is because we have assurance. We know beyond a reasonable doubt that what God has told us in his word is true. When you say you believe that murder is wrong, you're not hoping that murder is wrong. You're not wishing murder is wrong. Like, oh man, it would be really bad if everyone was just killing each other. Like, I really hope that's not a bad thing to do, right? No, we all know and we would all agree here this morning, right? Murder is bad. Can we at least start there? Like we need some sort of common ground, right? (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, someone was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Right, we're not hoping it is. When you say you believe that murder is wrong, you know without a doubt that it is. That's the kind of faith and hope that we're called to have here in this passage. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about. So in verse 2, when it says, the people of old received their commendation, other, other translations said gained approval by faith. That approval is gained not by hoping that these things are true, but by truly believing and knowing that they are true. And when we have an example of this that he gives us, it's Cain and Abel from Genesis 4, if you've, if you've never read the story. It's the first two brothers to ever... Exists, so of course they, they were fighting and, and bickering and all that good stuff. Uh, they each presented an offering before God, and Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected. Why? We finally find out in this passage. Was it Abel's was nicer? It was was it fuller? Was it was it better? Does does God prefer steak over vegetables like me? I knew that joke wasn't gonna land. That was like that was like <laughs> If you already, you had to have known that uh, Abel was the shepherd and Cain was, was the farmer. But that's my humor, so strap in. Like, more and more obscure until I'm the only one laughing. <laughs> right? No, it wasn't because uh, God prefers meat. It was because it was given in faith. And by that faith, him and the rest of the people listed here from the Old Testament were commended as righteous. They were saved. They were justified. So, 
If you've ever wondered, kind of as an aside, if you ever what hap- wondered what happened to those Old Testament saints who had faith, who died before Jesus died for our sins on the cross. By their faith, they were saved, period. End of the story. That is how it's always worked, and that's how it will always work. From the beginning of creation till the end of eternity, you are justified by faith. And this word uh, here translated faith is this uh, Greek word, pisteuo. And as soon as I say that, you can immediately forget it. Because how many of you, having been to church for years and years, can say you've increased your knowledge of of Greek language to any sort of helpful amount? Not right. (laughs) But it's all you need to know is that it's the same word as uh, John 3.16 translates believes. So whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do you get eternal life? It's through this faith, this belief, this hope, this trust in what God has told us and what God, what Jesus has done for us. So we're saved. We know the true God and we know our relationship to him as his image bearers. That identity gives us purpose. That leads us to our second point, that, that exercising this same saving faith fulfills us and number two, pleases God. So faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Look at verses five and six with me. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So you've heard me say many times before, you're probably, some of you, probably tired of me saying it. 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whatever, we are home or away from the body, whether we're, we're alive or we died, we make it our aim to please him. And that's kind of in the simplest, most generic form. Our purpose in life, the meaning of life, what we're supposed to be doing is pleasing God. And this passage gives us insights on how we fulfill that purpose. What is it? We please God when we believe him and the rewards for those who seek him. I'm looking at verse six. We please God when we believe in him and the rewards for those who seek him. Whatever we do has to come from this faith, this assurance, this conviction in God. Paul concurs in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, uh, but kind of giving the negative, he says, whatever is not from faith is sin. That's why the early church father, Augustine, said, even the most righteous virtues of unbelievers are sin. Now, that could be an interesting theological discussion. Do we agree with Augustine? But I'm really less concerned about the non-believer, right? Either way, I know that my, my goal towards them, how I should relate to them, is win them to Jesus Christ for God's glory and for their benefit, right? Amen? Okay, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're about winning people to Jesus Christ. <laughs> but... For us, 
everything we do, everything we think, everything we desire, what I want us, for us this morning is that all of those things would flow out of a heart of faith and say, okay, uh, what does that mean? I mean, what, what does that look like? How do I do that? How do I know when something is done in faith? Well, the outward action would probably look the same, but it's about the heart that compels that obedience, that quote-unquote obedience, right? Because Jesus made it clear when he was here and what we read from the New Testament that it's not just about uh, don't uh, murder, but don't be angry. And it's not just I didn't cheat on my wife, it's you don't lust, right? It's not just about these outward actions, it's about what's in the heart. Um, and we know this intuitively that a lot of times the, the inner reality doesn't line up with the outer, right? We see it all the time um, when athletes and politicians apologize, right? They're at a podium like this and there's like 87 microphones and flash cameras going all at the same time. I'll give you one example. Um, in 2013, a New England Patriots tight end, Rob Gronkowski. I know that's like low-hanging fruit, but bear with me. <laughs> I grew up in Colts territory, so we, we really didn't like the Patriots. But anyway, um, he made a video. It appeared to mock uh, his friend, who was an Asian-American. Um, it was, you know, drama ensued. His apology that followed said this. I feel bad, personally, he said. I feel bad. I talked to Joe, that's his friend in the video, and he assured me that he took no offense in any way. And I know others did, and I apologize to those who took offense. Now that's funny, because that was a terrible apology, right? He basically said, you know, I feel bad because I'm getting a lot of like negative PR about this, like people are upset and, and, and all this, you know, drama. and." Um, I didn't do anything wrong because, you know, my friend in the video said it was fine. Um, but I'm really sorry that you got upset and, and were offended by that, even though you really shouldn't have been offended, right? That's what he said, right? <laughs> so outwardly, he was attempting an apology, but the inner reality was uh, very, very far from that. Um, we see it uh, if, you, if you have, a, have been a parent, have been around small kids, right? Just last night, uh, we, we start charity with broccoli, and she likes a particular kind of broccoli. She likes overcooked, um, really mushy, unseasoned broccoli. And normally she'll eat it right up. Uh, last night she didn't for whatever reason, and we said, okay, Charity, you can't have you know, the rest of your food. Uh, and we were having tacos that night, and she loves tacos. You can't have your taco until you finish your broccoli. And then all of a sudden, she ate all of her broccoli, right? I was like, great, you know, outwardly she obeyed. She did what I asked her to, um, but she's only two, just if you guys don't know. Did she do it out of a heart of faith in Jesus Christ? No, but we're working on her, <laughs> right? She did it because she wanted tacos, and I, I don't blame her, right? Which is, which is a fine thing, but it's not coming out of position of faith. So again, we, we see often that this inner reality of the hearts, our thinking, our desires, often doesn't match the outward, but it needs to to truly please God. Um, and hopefully you're hit with the reality of how difficult that is. Like, whoa, 
Like, how often do I actually do that? It doesn't mean we don't try, but it should bring us back to a place where we are coming to our Savior and saying, I need help, where we're coming to church and coming to our small group and saying, I need help to do this and to do it well, and we keep trying. So how are you doing at this? Experiencing the joy of pleasing God through doing everything in faith. Is that even something you think about? Or where's an area that you'd like to grow in faith? So uh, it might be easier to think about it in the negative. Is, is there an area of your life where you feel like you are acting not out of faith, but out of fear? Or an area of your life I'm not acting out of faith, I'm acting out of jealousy, or pride, or gluttony, or whatever you could say. Or for me, it'd be like, is, there's, as I was preparing this message, there's an area of my life where I'm seeing I'm acting out more to get or out of a desire for ease and comfort rather than out of faith. So where is that for you? And when we do that, we make those changes and fulfill our purpose and please God. We strive to do everything by faith. And in that, we find joy and we find freedom. This next point, this next section has the most verses. We're not going to read them all. It's, uh, I'll give it to you first. It's faith trusts. Faith trusts. We're going to go through quite a few examples. I'll have some um, subpoints uh, up there for you. Um, six subpoints to be exact. And I'm sure there's more that we could uncover, but there's kind of six subpoints about how uh, faith trusts in the midst of uh, various different things. And I. Uh, that's just what I felt like we had time for. So, so there you go. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so again, this is all of uh, 7 to 38, but we'll just take little chunks. So the first is that faith trusts in ignorance. Just first verse 8, faith trusts in ignorance. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. God... Uh, you know, promised Abraham this, this uh, land that he had never been bo- there before. Obviously, there's no Google Maps, but it's not like, oh, yeah, I was, I was there on vacation. It was really nice. Like, let's go, right? He's somewhere he'd never been that took great effort to move his family there. All he had to go off of was God saying, hey, this place is going to be great, and I'm going to do great things through you in this place. And, and Abraham's response was, he trusted and went. And for us here, right, we weren't there when Jesus was nailed to the cross. We weren't there at his resurrection. We weren't there when he was teaching the disciples and heard his testimonies, his teaching in person. And yet... Even though we hadn't seen, like I see you right before me, we are called to respond the same way. We trust and go, just like Abraham did at the word of the Lord. Second, faith trusts when it defies our own understanding. Faith trusts when it defies our own understanding. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised She eventually had faith, but it's questionable whether she started that way. So this is in Genesis 18 where this story takes place. 
Genesis 18.11 says, uh, and I quote, Abraham and Sarah were old as dirt, well beyond the years of having children. And you can, uh, it might be a paraphrase, but you have to look it up to know for sure. So they're really old, and in the next verse, so, and so um, uh, God, um, depending on who you think the messengers are, either, either God or angels, come and say, hey, you guys are going to have a baby and, and make this promise and all that stuff. And they are 100 years old and 90 year old, years old, and Sarah responds how you would expect, and she kind of laughed, laughed. It says in verse 12, literally, Sarah laughed within herself uh, when she was told Right, because to our understanding, that makes absolutely no sense. Like, there's no way that could happen. And yet God is able to do so much more that is beyond our understanding. And that was kind of the point in the Genesis passage too. He concluded it um, in Genesis 18:14 by saying, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Isn't it true that sometimes we lean a little bit too much on our own understanding? Now I want to balance that because obviously God has given us discernment and understanding and, and knowledge and all these things so that we could rightly discern between right and wrong and, and be careful about those things. But there's a way that we can twist that beautiful gift to say, if I don't understand it, if I can't fully comprehend it, then it must not be true, right? The Trinity, how can, how can God be numerically one, one essence, but three persons? Like, I just can't wrap my mind fully around that. How can Jesus be 100% fully God and fully man? Not 50-50, but 100% and 100%. That just doesn't make sense. I seem to have free will and make rational choices and we're held accountable to those, but then God is sovereign and has a plan that we can't mess up. And you could probably go on and on. When my understanding is the requirement then I'm the authority instead of God's word. When my understanding is the requirement, all of a sudden I make myself the authority and not God's word. Anything or anyone that surpasses my understanding, that must simply not be true, which is hilarious because we do this all the time in person, right? Like how many people here think they could prove to me the physics behind how we know that the earth rotates around the sun and not the sun rotates around the earth, right? Because we look up at the sky and we see it, so you go like that, right? We know that the physics are out there, and we trust in them because some expert somewhere has, has done the work, right? Or someone says they have a giant telescope, or et cetera, right? But we ourselves have not looked through that telescope. We ourselves didn't do the, the physics to, and the experiments to discover that. But we all believe it beyond the shadow of a doubt. But then suddenly with God, if there's something that we don't fully comprehend or or don't understand, it's all of a sudden like, whoa, 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 whoa. This Trinity thing, I don't, I don't know about that. Oh, there's this person in our life who seems so far gone, and we think, I don't know how they could possibly ever be saved. I don't understand why God is working in a certain way in my life, or why certain things happen, or 
we can either simply not believe, right? This must not be true. We can transform God into something that's smaller than us, something that's tame, something that we can easily understand. Or, the right answer, we have faith, we trust, even when we don't fully comprehend. Even when I don't understand, I don't agree with God's plan, we have faith. Third, faith trusts when the answer is delayed. Faith trusts when the answer is delayed. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We'll talk about this one a little bit more later. They received some promises, right? That's what this whole chapter is about, but not uh, every promise, and yet they continued in faith. And for many of us, there are many things you're praying about, promises you're counting on that we're, we're not sure if it's a not yet or a no that we're praying for. And the author is saying, look to their example. And the example of the church around you, this body of believers right here, as they persevere in faith, as they waited, you can too. And you're faced with this a sin stronghold in your life that you've been wrestling with for a long time and, and maybe you're making some progress but it feels really slow and you just want to be like, God, I just want to be uh, done with this. Like, I, I just want to be done right now. Can we, can we like speed up this sanctification thing? Like, I know you called it progressive sanctification. Can we get this instant sanctification up in here, right? Like, does it have to go this slow? We trust and we continue in faith, trusting God's timing like, did, like they did like the ones that have come before us. That's what makes us patient. That's where patience comes from. Ultimately, it comes from faith. So if you, you want to be uh, more patient with your kids, if you're like, I, yeah, I could probably use a little more patience in my parenting. If you uh, need to be a little more patient, maybe you want to have kids, but the Lord has, has withheld that from you, and you've, maybe you've been trying for a long time, and you need uh, patience, Maybe you're married and you need patience with your spouse because uh, it turns out they're you know, sinners too and they, they sin toward you quite often, it feels like. Or maybe you would like to be married and you've been you know, putting yourself out there and, and dating and um, it just hasn't, hasn't worked out, hasn't, hasn't found that person yet and you need patience for that. Or, or your parents are getting older now and they're getting harder and harder to take care of, and it requires more and more patience to serve them well. Or, or with your boss at work, or if you're a boss with your employees at work, you need more patience. God says, hey, this is a fruit of the Spirit. Have faith. Patience comes from faith in God. Fourth, faith trusts in the midst of trials and difficulties. Faith trusts in the midst of trials and difficulties. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This Abraham guy keeps coming up. I wonder if he's important. So if you don't know the story, same Abraham, uh, 
has, they have the son, um, and God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son on this altar, like literally kill him. Similar, this is where you participate, okay? Similarly, like when we all said that murder was bad, right? Can we all agree that child sacrifice is bad? Yeah. Okay, thank you, yeah, that's good. We have good common ground here, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, this makes this one of the oddest kind of stories in the Bible, right? Because God, multiple times in the Old Testament, is like, hey, child sacrifice, bad. Hey, you guys are doing that, stop it. So what's, what's going on here? But Abraham had faith since God promised that a whole nation was going to come from Isaac, Isaac's offspring, his son, that he went through with it, knowing that God would just raise him from the dead. That's not what happened. God stopped Abraham from doing it. Um, and maybe as my, my little aside, it's not the most important thing, um, but it's also a little different if you knew he was just, God was just going to reverse it right away, right? Like part of death's power and meaning is that it's so permanent. Like if I asked you for your life savings, like your house, your cars, all your money in the bank, all your retirement and investments and all that stuff, if I was like, hey, could, could you give those to me like right now? You'd be like, no. But what if I was hooked up to a lie detector and I was like, give me all your assets and I'll give them back, right back in like five minutes. It feels a little different. Now, some of you are out there probably like, no, I still want to do it. <laughs> right? But it's a little different in that way. Don't I look like someone you want to give all your stuff to? <laughs> yeah, you're like, no. Nah. <laughs> you're like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. No, no, no. It's, it's the, and the important point, again, is not that we fully understand everything that's happening there. If that's unsatisfactory for you, fine. But the point is that God tested Abraham in a really uh, unique, special way, and Abraham responded in faith in God's promise, right? The, his assurance in that moment was God promised to make a nation through Isaac, so he's going to figure this thing out. And God has not so uniquely tested us in this way, but he has allowed things, trials and circumstances in our lives that similarly test us. Trials and circumstances we'd rather not have, and what we have to rely on and have faith in is God's promises to us. And we look to Abraham and to others as inspiration to preserve in our faith, persevere, excuse me, in our faith in the trial, and say, God, you showed up before, and I'm counting on you to show up again. Fifth, faith trusts when sin and temptation is strong, verses 24 and 26, through 26, excuse me. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So if you guys haven't heard this story, Moses was uh, an Israelite, a Hebrew, uh, but he was found and adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, it wasn't like he was a crown prince or he was ever going to be Pharaoh or anything like that, but he probably had a pretty cushy life, right? And Moses cast his lot with the people of God because he had faith and believed the divine promises God had promised to the Israelite people. 
So this phrase in verse 26, the reproach of Christ is confusing to you. I'm just going to state what I think it is and not argue for it because we don't have time. But here it is. He identified himself with the Israelites, joined them in their suffering, their disgrace. That disgrace is a type or it's like the same suffering and disgrace that Christ and his followers would suffer. Just like the author just talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. In addition, there are passages like in Psalm 69, which is a messianic, this is about Jesus' psalm, which you might remember came to the disciples' mind when Jesus was flipping tables in the temple, right? For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. So by focusing on his reward, which is not material or earthly, Moses turned his gaze away from the present suffering to what was heavenly and lasting, verse 34, and which was promised by God, verse 36. And we, in the same way, in the midst of our trials, look to that same heavenly reward. And that helps us to zoom out from the, this kind of suffering, the here and now sort of thing, right? Remember, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, AJ was guest preaching, so he's like, I'm going to use all their tape. So he, we, he gets the big, long thing of tape, right? And he, he stretches out against the whole, whole front and, and puts a little finger on it and says, you know, this is, this is the present. This is your life here on earth. And, and when we focus on God's heavenly promises, it helps us to zoom out and see that big thing of tape and see that in the grand scheme of eternity, this really hard thing going on in your life right now is, is truly a light momentary affliction. Six, last subpoint: faith trusts God to work, sometimes in miraculous or unexpected ways. Verse 29 and 30. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, verse 29 is talking about the Israelites reaching the Red Sea. They're fleeing from Egypt and, and Pharaoh's army, and they, they reach the sea. And uh, initially, they respond with fear, and Moses responds in faith in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And they respond in faith that the Lord would work in some miraculous way to keep his promise, and he did. Some of the Israelites had faith once they were entering into the promised land in sieging Jericho. They were walking around seven days and had no idea how or what was going to happen, only that they trusted in God, the God who works miracles. And we're challenged by the same, the no matter what, no matter the delay, no matter whether we fully understand or know, know or going through trials or facing temptation or if it feels like it would require a miracle, we are called to have faith and to have that same trust in the God who does miracles. And it's when we persevere in our faith and in our trust that we move on to our last point, that faith rewards. Faith rewards. Skip down to verse uh, 39 and 40. And all of these, though commended, th though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Remember also verses 13 through 16 we read before. I'll read it again real quick. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were commended for their faith. They received some specific things in life that they were promised, but it was not the promise, the better thing that God had promised them. And what is that thing? What is that reward? The reward is God himself. What is that better thing God prepared for us that apart from which they should not be made perfect? Is it not Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? Is that not the way in which we are made perfect? But they had to wait for a future redemptive time. Why? Because God in his good providence reserved the messianic perfection of Jesus Christ until we could share in it. So the messianic perfection meaning Jesus died on the cross so that he could pay the price for our sins that we might be justified and God still be just. Someone had to be punished and it was Jesus. God in his good providence reserved the messianic perfection of Jesus Christ until we, as in we, I mean, if you are Jewish, that's fine. But most of us here, right, are not Jewish, right? We would be, had been considered Gentiles. We would not have been part of God's people at that time. Everyone gets to participate in Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. They got to participate in it before the fact, and we get to participate in it after the fact. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, in talking about Jesus' sacrifice, the author says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time, for all time, those who have been sanctified. Past, present, and future. It's finished. So, you're probably picking up on this then. In verse 16, this city, this heavenly city that he prepared for them is none other than the heavenly Jerusalem, right? It's, it's heaven. It's the, the ultimate reward that they were looking toward and we look to is getting to be with God with Jesus forever in eternity. That's the reward. It's eternal life with him. But this promise is only for believers. So if you're not there this morning, you said, I'm not sure I do believe those things. I'm not sure I believe what he has told us about himself in this book. You can be. We'd love to talk about that with you. Also, C.1, faith saves. Faith that God says who he says he is, your savior and your king. Hopefully, all of us here by now have come to the point where you're like, yeah, I want more faith. Patience would be good. Joy would be good. All these other things seem really good. How do I get more faith? Thankfully, the apostles in uh, Luke chapter 17 asked Jesus to increase their faith. But have you ever thought about how, do they, how does Jesus respond? The disciples say, increase our faith. How does he respond? 
He says, it's not about the quantity. He said, faith like a mustard seed is sufficient to, to do these miraculous things. It's about the power of God. And then in Luke 17.10, he says, be humble and do all that you were commanded. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. There's no secret sauce, right? So if you're looking for three quick trips, tips to increase your faith, I don't have them, right? Because this is what God gave us to increase our faith. And this is as succinctly as God thought it should be, right? Do all that I have commanded you. And, and as you do that and as you study, God's power will work through it and you will grow as you obey. Last thing. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, like, I hear that. Faith would, that sounds really nice. But my faith right now feels really weak. Like, I, I feel like I'm just, like, hanging on here. Or, man, I feel like my, my faith hasn't, hasn't been growing in a while. Or maybe, man, I feel like my faith's really been challenged. I just want to encourage everyone, um, looking at verse 28, uh, it's talking about uh, the Passover, even though it's, it's talking about Moses. It applies to all the Israelites in Egypt, right? They were supposed to slaughter a lamb and put its blood on the doorpost. And then when the angel of death came, they would pass over the Israelites and, and only affect the Egyptians. That's not about quantity or strength of faith. That's about the power of God. So I want to close with um, just a quick uh, snippet from uh, one of my favorite uh, maybe messages of all time by D.A. Carson. He talks about this exact concept, and no one can say it better than him, so I'll just uh, ask you to, to direct your attention to the screen as he kind of wraps up for us. We're saved. We're justified. We overcome on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we admit we are weak in faith. At the, even just having a, a, mustard, a mustard seed of faith sometimes feels so hard. Would you increase our faith? Not for our sakes, but for the sake of your name. So that one day every knee would bow before you and every tongue would confess that you are Lord and that you are worthy of the glory. And in that faith that we would find that fountain of everlasting joy that we so long for. Help us to trust in you and your character and your promises and your word that you have given to us. Amen.